We are so glad you guys are here today. Um, we're in our series, Generous Living. And last week, Matt, actually Matt and Diane, they made it to Palau just fine. They, Matt actually texted and said he felt better than he thought he was going to. So praise God. I know a lot of you were praying for them. Um, he talked last week, he kicked off this series with the, with the haymaker, with money, because money we, I couldn't talk about that because, yeah, they don't trust me up here with that. But uh, Matt was so gracious. It was unbelievable to see him walk through the scriptures and talk about how Jesus doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart and how our money is tied to our hearts. And so today we're going to actually look at our most valuable resource, which is our time. So our time. But the problem in our society today is, I don't know if you ever feel like me, do you ever feel busy and like you have no time? That there's not enough hours in the day to get things accomplished. I, I know for me, I'm, I can get really busy really quickly. Uh, two, uh, three weeks ago, I, w- I was one of those days. It was a Tuesday, which means it's my day. My day to take the kids to school and drop them off. So I take our two oldest normally, and I drop them off at school, and then I get to work, and typically Tuesdays are my busy day. And so it was Tuesday, and, and I take Selah and Judah, and Molly had to run an errand, so I needed to take Eden. And I was just a little off that day. You ever been a little off in your day, your morning routine? The, the shower goes a little bit longer. You look at your watch, and you're like, how are we going to get the kids to school at this time? I'm running around. I'm, I'm like trying to get breakfast for them. I'm just trying to get my clothes on. It, it's a busy day. And then I, I have until about 6 o'clock my day is planned out, and I'm thinking of all the things I have to get done and all my to-do lists. So I drive into Rocky Mountain Christian Academy, and I had all three this time. So we actually got there five minutes early, which did not make sense. Isn't that how life works? You're like hurrying, and all of a sudden you get there five minutes early. So we're waiting, and we're waiting at the playground. And then all of a sudden the doors open, and I take my kids in, and I drop them off. And I'm like, okay, I got my kids in there. And I start walking out with a buddy, and he's asking me about my day, and I'm just telling him. And I get to my truck, and I hear this, and I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, somebody's like doing something to their kid. They need to get control of their kid. And so my buddy goes, he's like, isn't that your daughter at the playground? And Eden, my three-year-old, I had forgotten on the playground. And I only left her there for a minute and a half. I only left her there for a minute and a half. But she was with a bunch of kids. I just got busy. I, you're not a good parent unless you've forgotten a kid here or there. Come on. You just forget kids. They're like ninjas. They, they disappear really quickly. And I just felt, she was like, isn't that your kid? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew she was over there. And I went and got her, and I took her to Molly. But have you ever felt busy in life? Emails never stop. Problems are never solved. The news cycle continually happens 24 hours a day. And in our society, it's a badge of honor to be busy, isn't it? Have you ever asked, go around this week and see how many times you ask someone how they're doing and they say the words busy. It's crazy. That's that's our badge of honor. I'll hear guys talk all the time. Yeah, we haven't haven't had a vacation in over a year. We've just been busy. Like, man, I'm sorry. But it's like an honor. Like, I'm so busy. Have you ever felt this way? We live in a busy culture. Have you ever wished you had more time for your loved ones? More time to spend doing the things you love, to enjoy life, yet life is fast and busyness overtakes us. And it's interesting that we wear it as a badge of honor, but in relationship, you never want to be busy. You don't want to, you don't want to be the person who was like, my dad was too busy for me, or my wife is too busy for me. See, relationship if there's busyness, 
it causes causes discord. There, it's not good when there's busyness in relationship. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we can't be busy, or there's a disconnect in our relationship. Today, I want us to look at how how do you be generous with your time when you have very little of it. I know every single person in here, their schedule is typically pretty packed, and it's pretty full. So how are you generous with your time when you have little of it? And we're going to be in Mark 1, 21 through 38 today. Mark 1, 21 through 38. And we're just going to look at a day of the life of Jesus and see if there, and look into three principles that we can learn how Jesus prioritized his life. So I'm going to jump into the scriptures, Mark 1, 21. Okay, first, I'll give you the setting. This Jesus, Jesus in one day, this is all this passage is. We're going to jump right in. So this is where Jesus is at with his disciples. It says, they, the disciples and Jesus, went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching he was the, teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. And so Jesus is here, and he is preaching, and he is unbelievable. People are going, who is this guy? We've never heard teaching like this. The preachers of that time, he's, he's so much better than them. He has authority, and he's bringing the scriptures alive. The day is good for Jesus and his disciples. People are amazed. Have you ever public spoken before? I don't public speak. I don't know how to do the verb tense there. Uh, have you ever spoken publicly? Anyway, me either. <laughs> do you know how worried you get? Have you ever been worried about speaking in front of maybe your workplace? You have to give a big presentation, your heart pounds, you sweat. You, that's why I wear a lot of deodorant up here. And you, you have people looking at you. You hope you do okay. And what does it do? It drains your energy. If you ever preach God's word, I walk away from preaching God's word and I'm so tired. I'm so tired. See, because you're trying to communicate, you're trying to engage people with Jesus. Jesus is engaging people with God. And what do you think he's walking away from this feeling? I'm sure he's tired. He's tired, and yet he's, ex and he's exhausted. He's mentally exhausted. And look what happens next. Jo Mark 1, 23. It says, just then a man with an unclean spirit, so he was de demon-possessed, was in their synagogue. This man, he cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Jesus' day just got a little more interesting. I've never inter interacted, I've never had, the, had the interaction with an unclean spirit but Jesus just cast out a demonic force out of this man. For us, we don't have that. But maybe, maybe in your work, you get to rebuke someone for something they did wrong or correct your child. I've at times thought my child might have an unclean spirit. But other than that, I mean, we have a life where you, conflict rises. So there was a conflict that rose in the synagogue, and Jesus rebuked it and cleaned up the conflict. Again, another amazing, tiring time. We'll go on and see what happens in Jesus' life. Again, this is all in one day. They said they were all amazed in verse 27. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? 
everyone was asking, who is this guy? He's throwing out demons. He's speaking with authority. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Jesus becomes famous. Jesus is is the talk of the town. Jesus, this guy is different than anyone we ever have heard. Jesus just did the best presentation of they'd ever heard, and he became famous. Have you ever done something where you got your 15 minutes of fame? Maybe that one play in high school that you tell the story every Christmas with your family and relive it, or or that piece of music that you played and everybody applauded and it was amazing. And you felt, what did you feel at that moment? You felt pride. You felt, oh, look at me. Look what I've done. This is not what Jesus feels because Jesus doesn't serve himself. In other scriptures, we see that Jesus's point on being on planet earth was to uplift his father. Says that he put down every right as a as a as god and took on flesh and became man see jesus is all of a sudden famous the the word is spread about him he's walking around town and people are looking to him people are going that's jesus that's jesus that's jesus okay still in one day surely jesus is done time to kick off the shoes watch netflix i don't know what they had on back two thousand years ago and just hang out but no listen to what happens He's going to dinner, and in verse 29, it says this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So what does Jesus do? So he went to her. He took her by the hand. He raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve him. Jesus has had a long day, and he goes to dinner. I don't know about you, but when I walk into the house after a long day, I want to kick off my shoes, put on my sweats, turn on some music, and then when my kids run up to me, you know what I tell them? Five minutes. Dad needs five minutes. Just let me get there in my head. You've been there before? You need five minutes just to decompress and be away from the world. Jesus has had the law of this long day. He walks in the door, and he sees Simon's mother-in-law. He goes, what's wrong? goes grabs her hand cares deeply about her loves her and heals her jesus was all about people jesus cared then we go on to see we think dinner's here now it's not continue on when evening came after the sun had set okay it might not be colorado i don't know what time it is but 4 30 is really it's like setting right now 4 30 my wife and i are like, we got to get to bed by 7.30. It is, you're tired with this daylight savings change. We don't know when the sun set, but let's say it's 6 o'clock. The sun has set. And what happens? They brought to him all. How many? All. Those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It is late. Jesus goes into overtime. He's working overtime. I don't know how long it takes to heal a whole town, but it says the whole city was in the house. We're coming. And Jesus, he does not stop. And he prays and he heals. We don't know what time Jesus goes to bed. He may have gone to bed at 10 p.m., midnight, 
2 a.m. Who knows? We know from this course that he has had a long day. See, Jesus can relate to a long day. Jesus can relate to your busyness. Jesus can relate completely. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the very next line, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still, what, dark. While it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Do you catch Jesus' bookend of his day? I'm sleeping in. Jesus is going, i got to get some time with my father. i got to go be with my father. And then the end of the story says this in 36. It says, Simon and his companions searched for him. Where'd Jesus go? You know why they were searching and didn't know where he went? Because he woke up before them. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Then, and, he went, and he said this to them. Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach to them too. This is why I've come. Jesus, after all of that, goes, great day. Let's do it again, guys. Great day. Let's go do it all over again. That's why I came. Let's go to the next town. Let's do the same day over and over and over again. Jesus was very busy. He can relate. He knows. He cares. And he understands. And I know as you're listening to Jesus' life, you're probably going, I'm not the son of God. And you're not. But we can learn some things about how Jesus prioritized his life in order that he might live in a generous way and that he might give his time. So today I want to give us three priorities that we can take our lives and how we can prioritize our lives so that we might be generous with our time and even in our busyness that we might live like Jesus. And so the first priority that Jesus had is that he was God-centered. He was God-centered. He knew where the power came from. His power came from the Father. In Mark 135, it said he went up, he woke up early. And what did he go to do in that passage? He went to pray. He goes, I need help from my Father. I need fuel. See, Jesus knew that the only way that he could act, live, and do the miracles that he did was through prayer. Isn't it interesting to you, though? Out of all the people that don't need to pray in the world, wouldn't it be Jesus? Doesn't he have a direct line? But there's something key there. He pulled away. He pulled away from the crowds and he goes, Father, I need to focus on you. I need to be connected to you. Prayer was Jesus' fuel. And here's the reason. It's supernatural. You can do a lot of things to fuel your body. You can get better sleep. You can eat better. You can drink a lot of coffee and get going in the morning. But there's some things that aren't aren't natural, but that are supernatural. And prayer is a supernatural energy that comes from God that gives us and allows us to do more than we thought we could. I love this. In Matthew 11, this is Jesus saying, he says this, come to me. Who? Who should come? All who are weary and burdened. Jesus goes, come to me. If you're busy, if you're tired, if you're worried, if you're burdened, come to me. And that's how you get rest. If you're tired in here today, if you're exhausted, if you're mentally spent, the only thing that will heal you completely, you can get good sleep and you'll feel a little bit better. The only thing that allows you to continue to go is if you come to Jesus. 
You do that in two ways. You come to him in faith and repentance and make him Lord. You can't have this power unless you're a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. And how you do that is put your faith in him to turn from your sin, to trust in his name. And then secondly, how you get this power as followers of Jesus is you come to him. You focus on him. You make your life around him. Martin Luther, famous theologian, said this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I have so much to do today, I shall spend three hours in prayer. That is not my response at all, normally. Like, man, my to-do list is so busy. What's the first thing that gets cut in my life? Prayer and time with God. But Jesus knew differently. He knew to center on the Father. Jesus said this. He said, the sick need a doctor. We're all sick. When you're busy, when you're anxious, when you have life spinning, you don't run from God. That's when you need him the most. But so much of the time, we run from God when we need him the most. Be God-centered. You know, they say that especially my generation and the generation below me are the most anxious, depressed generation in the history of the United States since they've been taking statistics like that. I have a hypothesis why this is true just from my own life and how I see it. The world never stops. I'm always getting dinged, pinged, ringed, emailed. Like, it never stops. And there's a 24-hour news cycle. Even if you're not on social media, there's always something to hear about, always something to learn about. We have so much information that we have, like, we get paralysis from analysis because we're, we're looking into so much information that we, our brains literally can't handle the information that we consume. We're stress-filled. We're anxiety-filled. We live in the most noisy world where you have to fight. You have to fight for time to be quiet. Even as this quiet right now, isn't it a little awkward? Nobody's cell phone better go off. I mess up my point. It's awkward now. You have to, it will not happen passively to get time with God, to be God-centered. But here's the interesting thing is, yes, we live in the most noisy time, the most loud time, the most hard time to get away. But think back to what Jesus did. What did Jesus have to do? He actually woke up early and he went to a deserted place. Why? He needed to be alone. He did exactly what we need to do. We need to have times in our lives and things in our life where we can go be alone. We can be quiet and we can focus on our relationship with the Father because that's where the energy comes from. He was generous with his time by prioritizing his relationship with God. I would encourage you today, if you're not prioritizing your time in prayer and in the word, day in and day out, do it. It's the only place you will find the strength that you need to make it through life. Do it. So the first priority is he was God-centered. And the second priority we can see is that he was people-focused. People-focused. Jesus, throughout his day, he cared about people. He was not a normal figurehead. You know, most people that are public speakers or politicians or athletes in our day and age, they don't hang out with the common folk. They, they get up, they do their spiel, they talk, everybody applauds, and then they walk away, and you will never know them. Yet we idolize them, yet you'll never know them. You never know what they, their actual character, who they were like. Jesus was nothing like this. He was nothing like this. And we saw it through his life. He, there was a demon-possessed person, and what does he do? Heals them. 
He walks into a dinner party and he heals the mother-in-law. He's, and then he's about ready to go to bed and all the people come in and he heals them and he has time for them and he cares for them. Jesus didn't just do his sermon on the mount and get on his, in his limousine chariot and ride away. No, he goes, I'm there for you. And he's here for you. I love this analogy that people talk about Jesus. He was a three mile, he, he was a three mile per hour God. He was always on the move, but it wasn't fast. And he always had time for people. He was people focused. Jesus refers to people throughout the New Testament as he talks about lost people and hurting people and broken people. He talks about them as the harvest. He goes, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He's going, there's so many people that need me, but there's so few of workers to to reach out to them. And Jesus, throughout all his ministry career, he wants people to know him, to know his love, and to follow him. As you hear this, Jesus wants to impact others around you. We're supposed to be people-focused. We're supposed to look for people in our lives. And I hear this all the time. They're like, well, I'll go, well, who are you praying for that you want to share your faith with or, or that you're trying to love? And like, I don't know. I don't know who I'm supposed to impact. I don't, I don't know where they're going to come from. I don't know how to do it. Here's what Jesus would say in John 4, 35. He says this. He says, don't you have a saying? He goes, hey, guys, don't you guys have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. This is what Jesus goes. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. I would say if if you're asking, how do I be people focused? You need Jesus's eyes and you need to open your eyes. This summer, I went musky fishing in Canada. And when you musky fish, you throw this massive rod and this huge lure and you you reel it in. And at the end, you actually don't pull it out. Because musky, about 50% of the time, hit at the boat. And so you take your rod it's like a huge rod, and you do this huge circle, and you do that. And you don't know if there's a muskie there. What do you have to put on to see the muskie? You have to put on polarized glasses. If you don't have polarized glasses, you will not catch a muskie. There's a whole world you cannot see. What Jesus is saying is he's going, put on some glasses, open your eyes to how I see people. The harvest is ripe. Don't wait. It's not four months away. Who are the people in your life right now that you need to love and care about? How do you impact them? How do you open your eyes? Who are the coworkers that you need to open your eyes and see around? Who are the people at your gym? You need to open your eyes and see them, how Jesus sees them, your kids, your neighbors, the poor, the needy, people in this church. We have to open our eyes. Is God in control of everything? Yes. Does he know where you're going to work? Does he know where you're going to live? Does he know the person you're going to meet tomorrow? Yes. Open your eyes. They're there. Open your eyes. I want to give you a really specific application. And I love this. It's called bless. How do you become people focused? If you want, you probably can't write this down because it's going to go by fast. We'll leave it up as long as we can. Take a picture of it with your phone. But I love it. It's just a simple way of how do you impact people around you? You bless them. So here's what it means. You begin with prayer. You start praying, God, open my eyes to see the people around me that I can have an impact on. Two is you listen. How you influence someone is you don't have to talk all the time. You listen and you ask them. You hear about their pains, their struggles, their hardship. E, you eat. It's pretty easy to do. I'm good at it. You eat with people. You build relationships. You listen to them. You tell them, you uh, hear how their life is. You build relationship. 
S, you serve. If you listen long enough and you don't talk about yourself, you'll learn people's needs and you will be able to serve them and love them and help them. Everybody needs to be served. I guarantee you that. And lastly, story. When the time is right, share your story of how Jesus changed your life. You can bless people and be people-focused in this. Now, I know what you're saying. This seems like a lot of effort, Jason. Like, to be people-focused? I mean, I don't have any time as it is. How do I be people-focused? One, I would encourage you, you don't need to go meet more people. You just need to open your eyes. There's people around you that you eat with, you talk with every single day that I think Jesus has put in your life that you might have an impact on. And Jesus said this about himself in Mark 10. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was so people-focused. He goes, I I don't need to be served. I came to serve. So we need to be God-centered. We need to be people-focused. And the third priority we see from Jesus is that he was mission-minded. He was mission-minded. In Mark 1, 38, at the very end, what did he say? Let's go to the neighboring villages so that I might preach there too. This is why I've come. Jesus was on a mission. He was on a mission and he had a purpose that he wanted people to know God deeply and to glorify God and that he would see disciples raised up. His desire was to see the lost found and disciples sent to the world. That's our mission today. Jesus leaves us as followers of him to be mission-minded, to do the exact same thing, to glorify God and to make disciples. Why are you on planet Earth? Why did you just thought when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, why don't you just die and go to glory? He sent you on a mission. He has sent you on a mission. Now, your mission is not going to look like the day of Jesus. You're not going to be, most of us, 99% of the people in this room, their job is not full-time ministry. But your job is ministry. The people you have to influence are your ministry. The people in your life is ministry. You know, preachers, we're not going to have the impact on the world. I am 100% behind that. This is not how Jesus makes his kingdom expand. It's through his people going to their places, to the darkest places of the world, and reaching others. You are to live on mission. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you a few ways. One is you need to live and make the most. Live and make the most. This is what Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Did you think about this? Jesus changed the world. Most influential leader ever to live. He has the most followers. How long did it take him to do it? Three years. He knew he was going to die in three years. He knew there was a ticking time clock going on in his head going, okay, one more day. I got one more day. I got one more day. And I have this day and this day and this day. And I know I'm going to die on this day. Think if we lived like that. Where we knew that the time was was counting. I'm one day closer to eternity than I was yesterday. And so are you. We have to make the most of our time. Don't plan on being mission-minded next year. Make the most. What I've seen in my own life, I'm not an expert at this. I just, I've learned from messing up life over and over and over again, is that I don't naturally make the most of my time. 
I allow time to be stolen from me. And if you want to live life as a wise person and not unwise, you have to be careful not to allow time to, to be stolen from you. That you might want to read more, you might want to pray more, you might want to start another business. Anything you might want to do, you can't allow time to be stolen from you. We all have the same 24-hour time period every single day. It's like life's one level playing field. Because we all have the same amount of seconds in the day. But how do we use them? For you, you might need to be going, I need to monitor my media intake. I get that little percentage every week of how much screen time I've had on my cell phone. I'm either encouraged or discouraged. But I've been going, why, why am I just looking at my phone? Have you ever spent, it's probably only me, you look on Facebook and you do this and your thumb's tired because it's been an hour and you're like, where did that hour go? There's so many things in life that we could cut in order to add things of God. I would encourage you to think, is there something that you need to cut from your life that is stealing your time? None of those things are necessarily evil or bad, but you want to cut them. Next is you need to live for the prize. Live for the prize. This is what Paul said. He goes, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If you want to be missionally minded, if you want to live with your mission on your mind, you don't need to worry about your past. If I worried about my past and looked to all the sin and all the things I've done, it would hold me back. And I think that's what Satan wants to do a lot of times in our life. He wants to remind you of what you did. Put that behind you and go towards the prize, which is heavenly, which is upward, which is eternal. We need to live for the prize of heaven, that every day we get closer and closer to heaven. Next, we need to live as an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors of God, since God is making his appeal through us. Who is God making his appeal through? Is he making it through the stars, the moon? No, it says he's making it through you. That you're an ambassador. That's why Paul goes, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to Christ. You're an ambassador. And when you live in that mindset of today, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. Everything I do is for Jesus. It might be stapling some papers. It might be shredding papers. What are you doing it for? Jesus. The most mundane task can be done in Jesus' name. And we live with the attitude that we're ambassadors. And then lastly, how do we do this? We live with the body. We live with the body. The body of Christ, the church family. It says this, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. You can't live like Jesus. No one can. But we can. Let me say that again. You can't live like Jesus. But we can. We are his body. We all make up a portion of it. You all have a role. If you're in this church and you're going, well, why do I go to church? I can just listen to the message online. I can listen to worship online. Why do I come here? We're the body. And we, we do things that we can't do by ourselves. We come together as the body of Christ. Valley's goal as a church is to make these th three things a priority in the body. We want to be, first off, we want to be centered on our Father. We want to be centered on Jesus. 
We want to be people focused. We don't, we don't want to be about programs. We don't want to be about just being someone up here speaking. We want to know you. We want to have relationships with you. I want to know how I can pray for you. We're people focused. And lastly, as a body, we're mission minded. Our heart, our vision is to make disciples in this community. This community desperately needs Jesus Christ. Your neighbors desperately need Jesus Christ. People are going to eternity without Jesus. And our church should care about that. But you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. How are we going to reach Lafayette? We do it together. We do it as the body. We come together and we serve. If you want to know how to be mission-minded, I want to encourage you to engage missionally with the church. We can't do it without you. We need you. Serve along mission with the church. And we have lots of opportunities to do that. This is a great one right here. Thank you, guys. We served on mission. We had two boxes, me and my kids. We got a lot more together. We're having a lot more impact together. We're stronger together. We have lots of opportunities. But I want to push you to two that I want to challenge you as an application from this sermon. One is I want to ask you, would you be a part of kids' ministry? I know it's not maybe the most fun thing all the time. I know you might not like kids yelling, but we need you. We have to do this together. I have three kids myself, and I need the body to come together because I can't raise them on my own. I need the body to do it. And a tangible way to do that is we need help as we serve our, our kids down at Kids Valley. Sign up for Kids Valley on that blue card, and I guarantee you it will be worth your time. Secondly is the deck the halls that we were just talking about. I am so excited for this. One, I love Christmas lights. Like, I, I grew up, I, I was like Clark Griswold. I loved, like, stringing as many together as possible. That's part of the reason. But the main reason is I don't get to interact with you guys that much. We get time here and there, but there's something about serving alongside of each other that, that brings relationship together and doing a common good. And my prayer is that we would hang Christmas lights, make this place look amazing. We've never been able to advertise that our church meets here. People, 40... 20,000 cars go by that intersection every single day, and no one knows this is a church. For one month, we get to advertise that this is a church. And think what might happen if 20,000 cars for 30 days go by, and what could happen on Christmas? We're excited. Our Christmas and our Christmas Eve service, we're going to share the gospel, and we're praying that many would come to know him. Would you play a part and help us in this? As we close, I was going to ask Jill to come up. I wanted to tell you a story. Um, for some of you, you might know I have a brother named Blake. My brother is a year younger than me. And Blake, I love him. But you know, Blake has a, a hardship in life. Blake has seizures. Blake, when he was two years old, he went into a coma, almost died, and lost a third of his brain. And oh, I love him so much. And I... I look at my own life, and I go, God, that should have been me. I could have easily been my brother. It was, all it was was an infection. Any baby it could have been, it could have been me. Why did you not make me have the infection and Blake be healed? And I've watched Blake for the rest of his life. He has seizures about once or twice a week. He's never able to hold on to a job. He still has to live with my parents, and he has a totally different life than I have. I have an amazing life. 
I have kids. I have a beautiful wife. I have a job I love. Like, oh, man, you've given me this, and I want to steward it. I want to be generous with my time because you've been so generous to me, God. Do you know one thing about Blake? He absolutely loves Jesus. And he loves to serve Jesus. He's, he's connected to one of the bigger churches in the T- Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And he goes for about 10 to 20 hours a week. And he sets up chairs at the church, church. No one knows about Blake other than a few staff members. And then you know what he does? He goes and he prepares every single kid's room. And no one knows about it. I think in heaven, there's going to be few people closer to Jesus than Blake. I'm going to be way back there going, oh, there's my brother up there close to Jesus. It's not about how much you do. Jesus doesn't care about that. He cares about your heart. And my brother, I, I look at his heart, I go, that's a pure heart. That's a heart of generosity. He gives his time to others. And when you give your time to others, it makes a lasting impact. I would encourage you, church, would you be God-centered? Would you be people-focused? And would you be mission-minded? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we're better together, that we can't do it on our own. And the great news is that even in a busy life, God, that we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to live life without you. But that, Jesus, you know exactly what we need. Jesus, that you're not too busy for us. God, I pray if there's anyone in here today that feels the weight the anxiety, the pain, they're just tired. That they would hear the words that you spoke in Matthew and you say, come. I pray that they would come to you. That their burdens would be lifted. That they would find joy. And that you're never in a hurry. You always have time for us. And God, we ultimately, we, we give you our lives. We ask that we might be more generous with our time, God. We might... Ask that we might use our time for your glory. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that we might be mission-minded and that we might be better together. And God, you might do a great move that we would never have seen before in this church over the next month. In your son's name.